Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. What's your favorite Christmas memory? (laughs) Boy, that would take a while to share, wouldn't it? Um, I, I love Christmas. I really do. I listen to uh, Christmas music all year round. I actually study to it. So it influences my messages. You know what I'm saying? Um, because there's a message of hope in it. There's a, there's a sense of expectation and thankfulness of what God has done. And you, you begin to think about the Lord leaving heaven, coming to this earth, becoming a man or becoming in the likeness of man, right? He's not exactly like us. He's similar to us in that he did not have a sin nature, And as a result, he's the Lamb of God, he's perfect, spotless, he's able to go to the cross in order to shed his blood so that we might have life and life everlasting. This message is really uh, fascinating if you really think about it. It's all about what God has done. We think about Christmas, we think about uh, the story of the gospel, we think about the story of history, and it's all about what God has done for his glory. And redemption is a part of that. God is glorified through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have the opportunity to to glorify God in each and every one of our lives as we come to Christ and as Christ uh, takes up residence within us and then through us begins to be revealed and God's love begins to be seen in our attitudes and our actions, all the different things that we're a part of. So many different Christmas memories, some of them difficult. Sometimes Christmas can be bittersweet. I know I've, I've been there. I can look back on a few Christmases growing up that weren't exactly what you would put on a Hallmark postcard, right? Some of you are struggling with that, perhaps even this year. Let me read you a poem, nameless author. He gave us the gift on a night holy on which angels announced the salvation story. God working, preparing before the dawn. Shepherds lowly and wise men in glory came and worshiped the Savior who is Christ our Lord. Now all may come to that stable lowly, receiving life eternal, sweet song of grace. (laughs) Look at Acts chapter 13. Look at uh, verses 13 and following. Paul and his companions about to depart on their first missionary journey. Say, what does that have to do with Christmas? Hang in there. (laughs) The Lord leaving heaven is the supreme missional moment of all time. There's no question about that. It's called the incarnation, right? We talk about it being incarnational. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that we needed to be rescued, and he came in order to do that. We now have a message that we're able to share with people, a message of hope, a message of love, a message of what God has done, Not one of religion, 10 steps to a better life, an assurance to get past Peter at the the pearly gates. That's not what we're talking about. But the reality of it is we have the opportunity of knowing God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he shed his blood at the cross. And he rose again, proving that he's the Savior, proving that he is Lord, he is master over everything, that he did defeat death our great enemy. Acts 13, verses 13 and following says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. Say that five times fast. 
But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Poseidon, Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. (laughs) That kind of cracks me up. I mean, they're asking the Apostle Paul, you got anything to say? That's like asking Billy Graham if he had a quiet time. I mean, come on. Are you serious? (laughs) They come into this synagogue. They sit down. They must have been known. They had to have been known. Paul had studied under Gamaliel. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was one of the up-and-comers. He had even persecuted the church of God. This is years later. But they clearly had an idea of who this guy is. And so they're asking him, if you have a word of exhortation, share it. They've read from the law. They've read from the prophets. That's what they do at the synagogue. And then they invite them to share something. I think there's no mistake that they were reading out of the law and the prophets. And I think there's no mistake what Paul ends up sharing with them from the law and from the prophets concerning Christ, concerning Jesus. I think it's awesome because right now Paul looks like he's the leader. Paul and his companions. From from this point forward, we see Paul beginning to walk within the calling that God had for him, which was to the Gentiles. Prior to this, it was Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Now it becomes Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and his companions. He's beginning to walk within what God had called him to. There's another little interesting tidbit here. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. This is John Mark. We're going to look at this later on as the story progresses because God's not through with John Mark. He ends up writing the gospel of Mark. But right now, uh, there's a little bit of a a tift that takes place. And later on, we see that Paul and Barnabas actually separate as a result of this. And Paul takes with him Silas. They begin their missionary journeys at a different point in time. They go to the synagogues on the Sabbath. This was something that Paul did all the time. If if you track his missionary journeys and you see what he does and when he does it, he normally starts out looking, is there a synagogue? If there wasn't a synagogue, he's looking for people that are gathering on the Sabbath in order to go to them because he knows that these individuals have a hearing of the word. They know the Old Testament and he's able to to share the Old Testament with them and bring it to the point of declaring salvation in Christ by faith alone. And that's a beautiful picture of that. I think there's no question that he does this as a pattern. This is something that is a strategy in many different ways in terms of the missional work that he's about. There's a traditional reading from the law and the prophets upon which the synagogue officials, more than one, they must have had a committee meeting in the back. Do we really want to ask them to do this? And they must have agreed and said, okay, Paul, you got something to say, a word of exhortation for the people. By the way, exhortation, encouragement is not simply just patting somebody on the back. It is sharing the truth of the word of God in order that they might understand something in their lives that perhaps is not in alignment with God. Here we have a whole group of people that need to know the gospel. They need to hear the story of the gospel. They need to hear what it is that God has done. And it's clearly all about what God has done. 
Verse 16, Paul stands up, motions with his hand, and he says to the men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen, listen. I think it's interesting to note that there's two different groups of people here. There are Jewish individuals, men of Israel. There are also those who fear God. There are Gentiles there. There are God-fearers. It reminds me of Cornelius when Peter goes to his house and recognizes that he's a, a fearer of God. He has an awe and a respect of God. There were Gentiles that were here at the synagogue listening to the law, listening to the prophets, clearly being drawn by God to Judaism to the one true God. And Paul recognizes this. Understand, Paul's calling is to the Gentiles, and he includes them in what he is about to say. In an audience, there are always all different groups of people. We have some who have believed. We have some who perhaps are on the verge of believing. We have some who are religious and are resistant to what God wants to say, and we have some who are unbelievers and perhaps for the first time hear what it is that God wants to declare to them. And we trust the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and make it applicable to each and every individual. I think Paul understands this. Paul is sharing the gospel, and he knows his audience. I think it's very clear that they know the Old Testament. In fact, as we look through this story of what Paul shares as a synopsis, he does the same thing that Stephen did before the Sanhedrin. He doesn't go into all the detail. He just gives snapshots of information. Why? Well, because they understood the law and the prophets. There's a story behind the story. The things that he says have an indicator to them, and they understand that. They know what he's talking about. They understand the history of Israel. And I think that's interesting to point out. In this story, starting with verse 17, as Paul begins, all of this is about how God interacts with the nation of Israel. It's all about what God has done. In fact, if you look through the language of this, you're going to find everything is predicated upon what God has done. God gave. God put up with. God is the one who has bestowed. God has done. You're going to see that over and over and over again and understand that Christmas is all about what God has done. It's what God chose to do. It's God's plan for salvation for humanity. God sent his son. We get to be a part of it. Israel got to be a part of it. And through us, we have the opportunity of sharing Christ, being lights in a dark world. Verse 17, he says, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. In one verse, he gives a synopsis all the way from Abraham to leading them out of Egypt. That's a massive chunk of time. That's that's an amazing journey. That takes up a lot of the Old Testament. He's talking about the growth of the nation here. The people were made great during their stay in the land of Egypt. He's talking about numerically. They were enslaved. If you remember, 
Uh, Joseph, Jacob, they had moved down to Egypt because of the famine. They had moved to the land of Goshen because they were shepherds, taking care of cattle and livestock, something the Egyptians loathed. And God used that time, almost 400 years, in order to grow them into a mighty nation. By the way, we went and watched uh, the movie Moses. I don't expect an atheist to be able to translate exactly what the word of God says, right? I mean, if our expectation is that they're going to follow the word of God precisely, I I don't even know that uh, (laughs) some believers fall into that category, right? There's some amazing pictures there, amazing pictures of the plagues and how that could have worked. There's some really weird ones, too. So just know that going into it, right? Keep your expectations low. Take the the meat and throw out the bones. God bless Ridley Scott uh, and, and the rest of the people that put this together. But I don't think they were inspired by the Holy Spirit in this. Okay. Unreal. It's better than Noah. I'll tell you that. It's better than Noah. Noah was a travesty. I am way off course here. <laughs> I need John's soapbox, right? <laughs> oh, man. Stephanie's worried. <laughs> I know my wife, as soon as I brought up Moses, she was going, <gasps> Love you, babe. All right. <laughs> what does he include here? Verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. Catch this. Who did the choosing? Did Abraham wake up one day and say, wow, I got a great idea for salvation, God. This is good. This is good. No. He was a Gentile worshiping the moon in Ur of Chaldeans. (laughs) Did you know that? I hope you know that. God chose Abraham out. And Abraham responded affirmatively to what God was doing. And, and we know that Abraham was credited with righteousness because of the faith that he had, the willingness to be persuaded by God. We see that throughout the story. But here Paul is emphasizing what God has done. God chose. God's the one that did this. Abraham responded to it. And amen to that. But God initiated it. God's the one that completes it. He goes all the way through the issue of staying in the land of Egypt. Let me summarize it this way. There are several events here that I think are important that would have been the story behind the story in the midst of what Paul is saying. The calling of Abraham is clear. Isaac and his miraculous birth. Jacob and his wrestling with God and then being renamed Israel. Joseph in the time of captivity, the Passover, and the rescue from Egypt. Beautiful pictures of what God has done for the nation of Israel. How God manifested his power. How God manifested his sovereignty. How God interacted with Israel. How God chose to do that. Paul goes on to cover the time in the wilderness in verse 18. For a period of about 40 years, he put, them, he put up with them. <laughs> That's kind of a humbling statement, isn't it? 
He put up with them. I mean, can you imagine all the guys sitting around, right, in the synagogue, beards, phylacteries? They're all nodding. Yes, that's right. He put up with those guys. (laughs) Question is, what about us? For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. So he covers this whole section of scripture. They go into the wilderness after the Passover. They're they're freed from Egypt. A mighty moment. Moses' song on, on passing through the Red Sea is amazing. The salvation of Israel out of the land of Egypt. We have a lot of pictures in that of our salvation uh, by God out of this world. Because of what God is able to do because of the blood of a lamb. It's beautiful. He destroys nations. They go through all the wilderness time. They then enter into the, the promised land. God goes before them. He destroys the Amorites the different nations that are there, and he gives them land. Catch it? He had destroyed. He distributed. He's the one doing all of this. Paul is is giving them a picture. As a lawyer, he's building his case, and it has a crescendo moment. He's sharing with them all that God has done, all that God is capable of doing. The salvation pictures that are all the way through the story of Israel. Verse 20, after these things, he gave them judges. They took over the land. They defeated the nations there. God did that for them. They're given an inheritance. And then he gives them judges. There's constant attacks upon them because of their rebelliousness. They choose not to follow God and they go after the gods of the Amorites. And so people come in, the Midianites, etc. And he gives them judges until Samuel, the prophet, he goes through all, he, he just covers it in one snapshot. Be reminded of this. Look what God has done. Look how God has saved. Look how God has interacted with us. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. The people demanded a king. Samuel was grieved about it. We already have a king, it's the Lord. The Lord says, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> we'll give him a king. He gives him Saul. He's a head above everybody else. He's handsome, so everybody looks to him. This is our king. Saul's not faithful to follow the Lord. He's not faithful to walk with God. And so God removes him. Verse 22, after he had removed him, what does he do? He raised up David. Catch it. He raised up David. He removed Saul. He gave them a king. He raises up David to be their king concerning whom he also testifies. This is a beautiful testimony. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Beautiful picture there. A shepherd who's willing to follow the Lord and willing to do the will of the Lord. Wow. Beautiful. 
At this point, Paul stops. He doesn't go on historically. There's so much more that could be gone into. We got Solomon. We got the the time of the kings. We got the time of the exile. We got the time of the splitting of the nation in the north and the south. And we've got all the different things that take place in this. But he stops with David. Think about the language that's being used here. He chose them. He led them out. He put up with them. He fought for them. He gave them an inheritance in the land. He delivered them by giving them judges. He gave them Saul per their request of wanting a king. He gives them David, a man after his own heart, a shepherd that would do his will. And in verse 23, he says, From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Did you catch this? From the descendants of this man, David, King David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Verse 24, he says, After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Through David, per his promise to David, he has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus Christ. He also gives them one who would testify of Jesus, John the Baptist. People thought John was the Messiah, and John said, no, no, I'm I'm not the Messiah. Remember what he said about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does Savior mean? Because this whole crescendo is all about what God has done to interact with Israel. And remember the Abrahamic covenant. It wasn't just what God had done to interact with Israel. It is what God wanted to do in creating a nation in order to bring about the seed, which is Jesus Christ himself, in order that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That all the world, all of humanity, would have the opportunity to be saved Through Jesus Christ. This babe that we worship. This king that was born in a manger. Savior means one who saves, rescues, or delivers. Bringing the rescued into a state of blessing. He goes on in verse 26, and we're going to use this as a bridge because next week I'm going to get into the rest of this passage. But Acts chapter 13, verse 26, he says, Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God. Notice he, he again makes sure that the Gentiles that are there who are God-fearers within the synagogue are included within this. He's speaking to the Jewish people, but he's also speaking to the Gentiles who are fearers of God. They understand this story. He's walked through this in a very quick snapshot kind of way but then he says this to us all of us not just to us as apostles not to us just as as those who are coming from Jerusalem in order to declare this but to all of us to to Jews and Gentiles alike this salvation the message of this salvation has been sent do we realize that today you realize that this message is something that is for all of us? 
the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, understand this because we've got this kind of flip side up. We think of the gospel as just being for unbelievers, just that way in which we are able to get into the kingdom of God. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation is by grace through faith, and that's true. But that is a part of the gospel. The good news, the gospel, the message of God to us is not only for unbelievers, it's also for believers. Because the gospel is God's counsel. It's God's story to us. It's how do we begin to walk with the Lord as well as how do we now walk with the Lord. And all of it, all of it is by God's grace. Because it's what he has done. It's what he alone can do. It's what he can continue to do and has promised that he will Do we recognize that? Do we understand that? This Christmas, are we celebrating what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised to do? Are we walking in light of that truth? Are we saying yes to him in every area of our lives? Is the goodness of God being revealed through us? Are we experiencing his peace Are we experiencing his love? Are we experiencing his presence in every area of our lives? Paul announces this. He proclaims this. This is the crescendo moment. All that God has been doing leads to this moment. God sent his son in order that we might be saved. Wow. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Such a beautiful picture. I won't take time to read through this. By the way, we're having Christmas Eve services, and I would encourage you to come to that. I love that time together. I think it's such a beautiful picture of why the Lord came to be able to have communion together and with your family and with friends to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. We normally read through the whole story in Luke chapter 2 concerning Christ. But I just want, I want you to see this one picture because I think this is exactly what is being stated here in effect by Paul. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. How many people are fearful of God? How many people are fearful of, of, of who God is? We can see that in the Old Testament. They didn't even want to go to the mountain. They didn't even want to get close to the mountain because fear. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for, you, for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. And who is he? Christ the Lord. What an announcement. <laughs> all that God has been doing historically, all in, in, in every aspect of the nation of Israel and within the world, is to bring to this moment, at the right time, his son's birth, so that the message of good news, glad tidings, can be announced to all the people. John chapter 1 verse 4 speaks of the Lord as life, as light. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Matthew chapter 4, verses 16, right out of Isaiah, 
chapter 9, verse 2, is such a beautiful picture. I love this picture. He says, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Have you ever been in a place that's so dark you can't even see your hand in front of your face? Have you ever been splunking, caving? I did when I was a little kid, man, and I wasn't that little, I guess, at that point. I was with a kid that was much smaller than me, and he got into areas that I I was very fearful to go. But there was a moment where everybody left. They were all headed back. And I'm talking about being in the cave, and they were all crawling out. There was one area that was kind of a bigger cavern. And so off they went. And I hung back because I wanted to see what it was really like. I wanted to see this dark. And I could see the lights kind of trickling away. And all of a sudden, the last one faded out. Man, it was quiet. It was still. It was so dark. I was about 14 years old, and I started doing this. You ever done that? (laughs) It was really funny. I was trying to see my hand in front of my face. I couldn't even see my hand. I couldn't see movement. I couldn't see motion. Nothing. Nothing. When I turned that light on, believe me, my eyes went right to it. I had a flashlight. I'm not that dumb. (laughs) My eyes went right to it. The picture here is of people sitting in darkness, sitting in the shadow of death, having no hope, no assurance, not knowing where you're going, not knowing how to get there, nothing. And all of a sudden, there's the dawning. Oh, and it's Christ. There's hope, there's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's victory. Victory over sin, victory over death. Wow, and this is God's message to us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, rescued us, And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. It's not because of anything that we've done, not because of anything we could do, but because of who he is, his own purpose, his grace, which was granted, given us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed, and he says this, by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, the manifestation, the bringing to light, that which was not disclosed, it was in darkness, has now been brought to light. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. We don't grieve as those who have no hope, we know that if somebody's in Christ and they go to be with the Lord, the Lord calls them home. What do we know about that? We know to be absent from the body is to immediately be present with the Lord. When we celebrate Christmas, what we're celebrating is God's victory through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, over death. The conquering of fear, the conquering of any obstacle within our lives, 
that causes us to sit in darkness and have no hope and not have any direction, not know where we're going or how we're going to get there. The confusion and the chaos of this world, gone, because Christ came in order to go to the cross so that we might have our sins forgiven, that we might be brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what Christmas is about. What a powerful truth. One more verse, 2 Peter chapter 3. And in verse 17, Paul's dealing with, don't be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. He's encouraging believers. Don't get caught up in stuff that's not worth getting caught up in. In verse 18, he challenges them. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul announces to this small group, probably within this synagogue, this message has now been given to us, and it is everything that God has been working towards in human history, in Israel's history, and it is that Christ has come, and he's the Savior, he's the Lord. And Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let it be so. Are we growing in the grace and the knowledge? How do we do that? You know, the beautiful thing is the context here is that God has placed himself within us in order that we might grow. We don't grow because we have a checklist and leave here going, what do I got to do and check it all off? Well, I got to do this, 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 and this. No, no, no. We grow because we yield our lives to Christ. And in every area of our lives, we are learning to listen to what the Holy Spirit of God through the Word of God begins to do within our hearts. We get into the Word of God. Our minds are renewed. Our lives are transformed. We begin to follow God in all the different actions, activities, and attitudes of our lives. And we begin to experience God, and God begins to grow us. Because the word that's used here is a growth that comes from God, not because of our effort and or our sincerity. Are we growing in Christ? Are we walking with him in everything? Do we understand that this Christmas message the greatest message to mankind because it involves our salvation and it's from God. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.